This is your host, Grant Vermeer, Naval Academy Class of 2017, and I'm your Academy Insider. It's my goal to be your guide through the Naval Academy experience by sharing my stories and providing you inside information into the life of a midshipman. Academy Insider is in no way officially affiliated with the United States Naval Academy. All of the content on Academy Insider is my own and does not reflect the views of the United States Naval Academy, the United States Navy, nor the Department of Defense. Plebes no more. Plebes no more. Plebes no more. Is a chant you're going to be hearing the moment that combination cover gets put up on the top of Herndon Monument during the plebe Herndon climb. And today I am joined on Academy Insider by Admiral James McNeil, who is retired Supply Corps officer in the Navy. He was a class of 82 Napster and a class of 86 graduate from the United States Naval Academy. And now he's currently retired, but back at the Naval Academy as a volunteer sprint football coach. And Admiral McNeil is writing a book all about the Herndon climb. So he takes his time and shares with us a bunch of insight into the history of the Herndon Monument, Captain Herndon himself, as well as the Herndon Climb, and shares a little bit about his new book and when it'll be published. So this is a must-listen-to episode. I hope you guys enjoy it. Let's check it out. All right. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Academy Insider Podcast. And Jim, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today to talk all about Herndon. I really, really appreciate it. Really excited to be here. Absolutely. Uh, but before we get started in today's episode, do you mind just telling the audience a little bit about yourself? So where are you from, how you ended up at the Naval Academy, and then a little bit about your naval career? Sure, absolutely happy to. So I, I grew up in the Granada Hills area of Los Angeles. My dad is a 1962 Annapolis grad. And you'll have to uh, read the book to find out my, a little bit of my journey. But uh, Suffice it to say that uh, my dad motivated me to go to the academy. Okay. Uh, I was not uh, uh, one of the high school elite, so I spent a year up in <laughs> Newport, Rhode Island uh, at, at Naps. Uh, my, my, uh, my wife, who came in straight from high school, likes to refer me as the dumb one that had to go to Naps. <laughs> but, I love that. Uh, but I did that, and... Uh, uh, and did my four years and graduated uh, with the with the best class ever to graduate the class of 1986. Fantastic! And then what where what you service select and what did you do in your naval career? So I I was a, a an erstwhile rugby player at the academy and uh, uh, enjoyed the heck out of that, but uh, ended up hurting myself uh, double shoulder dislocation. And so I was uh, medically disqualified from uh, surface line and marine, things like that. I ended up yeah. in supply corps, which, uh, which absolutely was the great move for me. I was, I was very, very happy for that. So I was uh, six years active duty. I did uh, my first two years on, a, on an aircraft carrier uh, out of San Diego. And then halfway through that tour, moved over to a destroyer. And then my last two years on active duty was, a, was the supply officer at SEAL Team 1. And did that, and then uh, transitioned to the reserve component, did 25 years in the reserves, and uh, retired in 2017. Wow, fantastic. Um, and again, thank you for taking the time to come on. And today, today's episode is really all about the Herndon Climb. Um, so if someone who may be listening is not tremendously familiar with what Herndon is at all, can you just take a quick second to explain what Herndon is and how it relates to the life of a midshipman? Absolutely. So the uh, Herndon Climb is the rite of passage for the fourth class midshipmen known as plebes, who at the end of their plebe year, before they can officially be considered fourth class midshipmen, uh, over the years, a, a tradition has developed where they, were, where they were required to climb the Herndon Monument. Uh, the Herndon Monument is a 21-foot obelisk, very similar to the Washington Monument in, in look. Uh, named after Captain William Herndon, and we can certainly get into his background. Mm -hmm. uh, the tradition is that the sophomores of at the academy that year will put uh, grease on the monument, and then as a team-building exercise, the plebes will uh, attempt to get to the top of it with a human pyramid. Uh, there's a uh, fourth-class midshipman plebe uh, Dixie cup on top, mm -hmm. uh, so they try to get someone to the top, they take the Dixie cup off, 
And then they take a midshipman combo cover and they replace the Dixie cup with the combination cover. And once that happens, then plebe year is officially over. Oh, and, and you know, and you're laughing because you know, you know, uh, you know what that feels like. Uh, it's the greatest feeling I've ever had in my life. <laughs> well, and it's, it's funny you say that because uh, if I could share the story of, of kind of how this, this, this book all yeah. uh, happened. So my co-author, Scott Tomaszewski, uh, him and I have known each other since seventh grade. Oh, and wow. he, he's a writer. Uh, we were on a newspaper together uh, in, in, uh, in high school. And he's uh, written written a lot of books, uh, a book, a science fiction uh, time travel uh, series. And so in 2015, he called me one day out of the blue in May and said, hey, I was watching ESPN Sports Center, and I saw a thing uh, at the Academy called the Herndon Climb, and it looked really interesting. Have you ever heard of it? And I said, uh, yeah, <laughs> I've heard of it. In fact, oh, it's yeah. the second day of my life. Uh, because uh, graduation was the first, uh, and Herndon was <laughs> And he said, uh, well, I think it would be a great book. And mm-hmm. at the time, uh, I, was, I was still in the reserves, and I had been recalled to active duty. Uh, I had a, a pretty big assignment, and I would, uh, it, the, the thought of writing a book, I'd always kind of wanted to write a book, but the thought of doing it at that point was kind of daunting. So uh, he started to to be very excited and go into the great detail about what he thought the book could be. And as he's doing that, I'm Googling Herndon book uh, on Amazon because I'm getting ready to tell him, hey, look, I don't want to write the 17th book about Herndon, you know, and I'm mm-hmm. really busy. Yeah. And so I went on Amazon and there there wasn't a book. And I said, yeah. okay, well, there's got to be something. And really the only, if you go, uh, if you Google Herndon climb, the only thing that there is is a uh, there's some links to some newspaper articles, but mostly the the the, the one consolidated source of the, the Herndon climb is a Wikipedia page. And so I started to say, hey, there might be something here. But I said, hey, it looks it's going to have to be until I retire. When I retire is when I'll have an opportunity to do it. I'm just I've, I've got too much going on right now. Yeah. So we kind of kept in touch. We put an outline together. And then uh, uh, coincidentally, my wife, who's also a classmate, we uh, we moved to Maryland. Uh, she got her uh, PhD, and she be she got hired as a, a professor at Towson University in Baltimore. And so we moved to uh, Maryland, and so we were here, and we had the opportunity to to really dig into the research. And I figured the Naval Institute Press would be potentially a good publishing source, and so we met with them and uh, presented the idea for the book and a sample chapter. And uh, much little to our surprise, they uh, we thought it was a great idea, but uh, they agreed with us and signed a contract. And uh, so the the book is uh, is in. Uh, uh, it's now being edited, and it'll be out mm-hmm. September first. Fantastic. And so, what's the working title of the book right now? And then on top of that, is it more of like an informational factual book or a book consolidated of stories and different historical experiences of people going through the Herndon climb? Oh, gr- great question. Be uh, so the, the title of the book is The Herndon Climb, A History of the United States Naval Academy's Greatest Tradition. Uh, and we, uh, you know, we, we, when, when we first started uh, looking at it, we, my kind of the way I envisioned the project going, because as I said, there's just a Wikipedia page. And I thought, hey, you know, let's, let's dig into this thing and let's do a research project and we'll, we'll kind of trace this thing from, uh, you know, from beginning to end. And, and as we kind of dug into that, uh, we, you know, we said, hey, this is, we, we don't want, want to write a textbook. You know, we don't want to write a, a research paper. So uh, while we do have some of the history in there, we we cover a lot of different things. So uh, one of the things that we do is we do give, there, the, and, and, and frankly, there's not a lot of history about it. Uh, mm-hmm. We did, you know, we did to the best of our ability uh, through a lot of research at the, uh, at the library, at the Naval Academy, the Nimitz Library kind of determine kind of how we think it evolved. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we dug into uh, certainly Captain Herndon and, and his story. Uh, we dug into a lot of different uh, class stories. Um, our sample chapter uh, is the class of 98 climb, which is uh, the longest on record, which is four hours and five minutes. <laughs> that's a really, yeah, that's a long time. That's, that's, a, a, long, that's a long time. It's a long time, and it's uh, it's an interesting story. So that was actually our sample chapter that we pitched to the to, to the publisher. 
Uh, we have a, a, a chapter uh, about uh, uh, Kristen Dickman, uh, who was a class of 2011 and who passed away in her sleep uh, uh, right before the Herndon climb. So we have a chapter about her and, and her story. Uh, we have uh, a chapter about um, the, the women and, and how uh, their time over the climb has evolved, uh, specifically how women in the 80s were treated and, and you know, no spoiler alert here, but they weren't treated very well. And my wife uh, certainly uh, can attest to that. In fact, what was really interesting was while, while I view and, and you view uh, Herndon as such a great day, uh, to a lot of the women, especially the ones in the, in the classes of the early 80s, uh, they were treated so poorly. Uh, to them, it's not a pleasant memory. So we cover that in, in, in mm. that chapter. Uh, we, I get, uh, at the end of the book, I get to kind of tell my story of, of how I ended up at the Academy and my plebe year. And, uh, and then we also have, uh, three chapters that are broken up, which is a a second person account of the climb. And, and the goal of that is what what our really goals of this is not to have it just be interesting to alumni. Uh, we want, uh, non-alumni to, to be able to understand it. I, I just, I certainly described it in, in, in a short amount of time, but we felt it was important in the book to, to allow a reader to get into the kind of the head of, of a plebe that's going to be going through this and, and the things that, that happen. Uh, we also talk about uh, the greasing of it with First Company and, and you know, the company that's responsible for greasing it. Uh, and we also mm-hmm. uh, interview, we, we have a, a section there where we interviewed Admiral uh, Jeff Fowler, uh, who is a superintendent um, three superintendents ago. And we interviewed Admiral Fowler and he is uh he's very anti herndon okay and so we what we ended up doing was allowing him to tell his story and uh he makes an interesting point uh again we're very pro herndon but mm-hmm. uh you know he makes some interesting points so so what we really tried to do in the in the book is uh, talk about uh, Captain Herndon. Why you know why there was a monument named after Captain Herndon? Yeah. Uh, the, as best as we could tell, the evolution of the climb, individual climb stories, uh, some funny, uh, some sad, uh, so, some uh, uh, you know, your laugh, you'll cry, etc. Mm-hmm. And, and then uh, and then a, 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 and then a second person account, like I said, so we could probably try to get in the in the minds of, of someone doing it. So it. We hope it has something for everybody, and you know, you just don't know. We we've gotten, of course, positive feedback, but uh, you know, when your mom says they like it, that's not uh, you know, that's not, that's not <laughs> feedback. Um, yeah. So for a book that ranges um, throughout so much time and th- so many different perspectives, how did you even go about starting to do the research for that? Like, are there books out there that document each Herndon climb that you were able to research, or how did you pull together this information? Oh, great question. So, um, yeah, so we, so one of the things when we submitted our, our proposal, we had a sample table of content. So like I said, we kind of had an, kind of had an idea of where we wanted to go with the book, but what was, what really, really made it fun was, was that it went in a lot of different directions. So for example, uh, we had no, we had, we, one of our initial chapters we thought was, Hey, what, wouldn't it be cool to talk to, um, you know, the famous people that have done it? You know, you know, this was when John McCain was alive. So like a John McCain, you know, Roger mm-hmm. Staubach, people like that. And, and we just as we as we started going through, we realized, well, other than being famous, you know, they're, they, they don't I mean, they don't necessarily have an interesting story. Right. So then yeah. we, we started going out and 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 talking to people. And I posted a lot on uh, LinkedIn and social media, some Facebook groups that I that I belong to. And I said, hey, if you have an interesting story, I'd like to hear it. And that's really where the women, uh, the women chapter was uh, was born, because I got probably half a dozen emails from women from that are now in their 50s from the classes in the early 80s. And they all said essentially the same thing, which is. Well, I have a story to tell, but are you interested in telling the real story or are you interested or are you just going to in, uh, gloss over what happened to us? Mm-hmm. I said, no, I'm interested in telling the true story. So so that that was that was a piece of it. And then as I would as we were talking to people, they would say, hey, um, 
have, have you talked to so-and-so from the class of whatever? Well, no. Well, they've got a really great story. So it, mm-hmm. it just kind of took a, on a life of its own. Yeah. So I would say probably, um, you know, the Chris, Kristen Dickman story, we knew we were going to do that. She's buried in the Naval Academy Cemetery. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we, that was a story we knew we were going to do. Um, but a lot of the other ones just kind of went in a direction we just didn't know. And that was really what made it a lot of fun. So the way that we divided the book up was I did uh, all the interviewing. I did most of the research. Uh, Scott's wife did some of the research, but she did also all the transcription. Huh. So so uh, 45 minute interviews and she transcribed those. Uh, yeah. Uh, unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, the true hero of the book is Nancy because yeah. she, she spent hours and hours and hours and hours of doing the transcription. And then those would go to Scott and then he would write the chapter and then he'd send it to me. And, and one of the things that was really important to me and was really something I told him was, you know, I want to have the kind of the final cut, not that I'm going to change words or rewrite things, but I really want to make sure that it reads like it's coming from a Naval Academy grad. I don't want to, uh, you know, someone to say, hey, you know, on the campus and, you know, uh, things like that and say, and saying on the yard, the yard. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I want to make sure that we're uh, someone reading this uh, says, oh, yeah, that's this. This is a person who went there. And so this because if, if it didn't. Uh, you know, sometimes you watch, you know, things about the Navy on TV or movies and, and they wear their kidney wrong or they just do things. And you're like, OK, this thing's ridiculous because that would never happen. <laughs> so I, I was really concerned about that. Scott did a wonderful job. But again, unless you go to the Naval Academy, you don't know some of the inside stuff. Mm-hmm. So but uh, no, we and, and we got we had a lot of latitude with the, with the publisher, the Naval Institute Press. Uh, you know, they're ones that publish proceedings. Mm-hmm. Uh, were really, really great with us, gave us uh, great support, uh, had a lot of pictures that we were able to use. So that's the other thing that's really fun is there are a lot of old pictures in there uh, of some of the first climbs. And and that was uh, a lot of fun. So it's it's it should be a good read. There's good pictures. And uh, it, it, again, it should be something that uh, whether you're a grad or you have no familiarity at all with the Herndon climb, you should enjoy Fantastic. Uh, I do want to ask a couple questions uh, and actually hopefully maybe pick some of these things out of the book already with you talked a little bit about talking about the evolution of Herndon in your research and everything that you've been doing. Has Herndon evolved from the start or has it really uh, remained relatively the same throughout the years? Oh, good question. So so what we so what we were able to determine. And again, this is this is in the book is that. You know, back the, before there was the Navy Marine Corps Stadium, graduation was held uh, on Thompson Field, which is kind of this roughly the side of the alumni ha- alumni uh, hall now. And uh, over by the chapel, uh, so the basically the you know kind of the the road between the chapel and uh, uh, Stribling Walk, that area mm-hmm. was an area they called Lovers Lane, and it had big hedges. And uh, upper class were allowed to take their drags, their dates there on Sundays. And the idea was, and again, this is in the early 1900s. Mm-hmm. And so there wasn't any sort of wild making out going on, right? Everybody's very prim and proper. <laughs> but the idea was that, that a, a male, again, no women there, obviously, at that time. And male midshipmen could take their drags and sit in lover's lane and you have a little bit of privacy with the big hedges mm-hmm. and it was essentially right in front of Herndon. So if you, and one of the interesting things about a lot of interesting things, one of the interesting things about the Herndon monuments, the only monument on the yard that's never been moved. So, mm-hmm. so if you ever see an old picture of the Academy and you see find Herndon and that will orient you to the Academy because everything else is moved. Mm-hmm. So, so, uh, so after, so this started again, early 1900s, and there was no Herndon climb, obviously, uh-huh. and graduation happened. And so the plebes, uh, after they, you know, after the the upper, the first class graduated, became third class midshipmen, and a lot of them started running. It became a tradition to run over to Lovers Lane and to start uh, just kind of, you know, saying, "Hey, we get to be here now," because they were prohibited as plebes from being in Lovers Lane. <laughs> 
And then the tradition became that they started doing a snake dance. And if you know what a snake dance is, you have your hips on the person in front of you. And, you know, they would celebrate by doing this snake dance all around Lover's Lane. And again, it was by Herndon. Mm-hmm. And as is like uh, still the tradition today, uh, as, as uh, a lot of times, even though, uh, you know, you remember them as a plea, but now they're a third class and, and they're really kind of being so demonstrative uh, that I think it started to irritate the remaining upper class. You know, hey, five minutes ago you were plebes, and now you can, now you think you're pretty special. So then uh, the snake dance, after the snake dance was over, they would take uh, a picture in front of Herndon, and then they started to uh, take pictures where they had climbed up Herndon. And I and best as we can tell, that's kind of I think where the upper class just said, okay, this this is you guys are are, are going crazy, and you're just you're p- throwing this in our face, and we're really starting to get irritated. So to prevent you from climbing up the Herndon Monument, we're going to put grease on, it, on it, make it harder for you. <laughs> I love this. About as and, and again, this, this is by by no means a definitive history. Yeah. But that's about the best way that we were able to go through uh, old reef points, lucky bags. Um, uh, the retired uh, curator of the museum, uh, Jim Cheevers, uh, who was tremendously helpful in the book, you know, was the curator for 50 years. Uh, you know, he had a lot of the history. So that's about the best that we can determine that this that this climb has happened. And it's been greased. It's been non-greased yeah. uh, from um over the years, again, the records are incomplete. About the best that we can determine is the first climb was the class of 62, uh, which was my dad's class, which happened in 1959. Mm-hmm. Of course, I asked my dad, do you remember the Herndon climb? No. So maybe it did or maybe it didn't happen. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, you know, it was pretty rough back then, uh, you know, and he might have just blocked it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the uh, the fastest climb greased is about 20 minutes and that was a class of uh, 75 so much like the miami dolphins uh once uh, the last nfl team uh loses and their undefeated season is uh intact they all pop champagne that's kind of what the class of 75 does <laughs> once 20 minutes passes they're happy because they know their record still stands <laughs> And uh, I don't think class of 98's record for the longest climb will ever be broken. So yeah, you know, that, that one's probably good in the record book. Yeah, so we, we have the the longest of all time, upwards of four hours, which is just, that's an absurd amount of time to be out there. And you have the fastest around 20. What What is the like average time it normally takes for a class uh, to get up and do Herndon? I, I would say, and, I, and again, I it's probably between an hour and a half and two and a half hours, mm-hmm. somewhere in there. And, you know, what, what's interesting is, uh, you know, back in, in my day, you know, back when I was a plebe, you know, we didn't have computers and we didn't have cell phones. So we had no way of coordinating. So and yeah. I don't recall us even having a brief or, or even talking about it. I mean, we were, uh, you know, we just lined up in T-Cord and sprinted out and then just kind of figured it out. Well, what's hap- what happens now, and this is we, we interviewed some plebes right before the climb. Uh, last year's climb for the yeah. book. And, you know, they had all these emails flying around their class about strategies and we're going to do this and we're going to do this and we're going to do this. And and they were very, you know, and you read in the book, they were very confident that they were going to take about 30 minutes and this thing was going to be a piece of cake, <laughs> et, cetera, et cetera. And then, you know, of course you get out there and, and again, but that's, that's kind of the whole point of it. And I, and, you know, for the people listening that have never seen it, it really is a team building exercise because you, you know, 21 feet doesn't mm-hmm. sound very, when you see the herd apart, it doesn't look very tall until you're standing uh, on the bottom of it, looking up and then it's grease. So you can't get a good, good yeah. feel. Right. So it's really a, a fantastic mm-hmm. team building exercise. Um, you know, Admiral Fowler, back to Admiral Fowler. Um, he was a big fan of sea trials, which is something that was added uh, fairly recently, which is kind of, uh, based on the Marine Corps crucible or the battle stations the Navy does for boot camp. Mm-hmm. Um, Hernan's still the tradition. Um, but, um, you know, he, uh, he's concerned about someone getting hurt mm-hmm. and he referenced the uh, bonfire, Texas A&M. Yeah. And, you know, and, and yeah, like I said, he has a good point. Um, but, 
you know, the tradition is the tradition and, uh, um, you know, we'll see how it goes. So I, I, yeah. I, I, I think that, uh, while sea trials has not overshadowed it, I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of traditions that are, are still, uh, alive and well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I don't ever, I don't see the Herndon climb going away anytime soon. I, I hope, I hope it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's funny. The point that you made about the, the recent plebe class, like getting together and sending emails and doing all this strategy. Cause I'm pretty sure the class 17 roughly did the same thing, but then like saying the moment where it actually started, all strategy went out the window and everyone just started running and take off their shirt and throwing it at the thing and trying to get everything. And I was like, Oh yeah, it's, it's tough. Cause you probably have like a hundred to 200 people on the same page. And then you have an additional thousand that are just like, forget it. <laughs> we're running up there and we're going to try and make it happen. Um, so that's, that's definitely uh, very interesting. Um, but I do have one more question for you and this is, uh, or actually two more. I apologize. The first is kind of based on some folklore, and I was hoping to see if you have any insight into it. If I can recall correctly, and I may be completely wrong, but I was pretty sure when we were plebes, we were told that the person who actually replaces the cover on the top, the co- places the combination cover on the top of Herndon, was by tail supposed to be the first person that would put on either admiral or general in the the graduating class am, am i on base with this that's exactly the that exactly is the legend that is the legend all right yeah so at least i'm not making things up and i do remember kings correctly so that's exciting so uh shout out to mike landry from the 25th company back in 2017 because he was indeed our lucky warrior who got up there and made it happen um all right well but now that's to never, that's never happened is, has it never happened? That's, never a, that's happened. a fact that we can. <laughs> so it's a legend, but it's never happened. Mm. Uh, but we have a fun little story. So we have uh, a few kind of vignettes that really weren't long enough to, to, to make a whole chapter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the vignettes is about uh, a group, uh, a couple of roommates. And this is about the closest we've found. So the roommate got to the top of Herndon. His roommate was the first admiral in the class. Okay, <laughs> so that's about the best we could we could see at this point. Yeah, close by association. We'll take it. <laughs> right. Um, all right. So now, having spent all of this time studying the history of Herndon, I kind of want to put it over to you just for an opinion question. What do you see? What do you foresee as the future of Herndon? Do you see it staying the same, or do you think some of these safety concerns may tailor a little bit how it's conducted? Um, or kind of just what are your thoughts about Herndon moving forward? Do you think it's going to stay relatively the same or do you think it'll continue to evolve? I, I think it'll stay the same. Uh, we, uh, last year's climb, we, we were, uh, through the PAO were granted access. We interviewed Admiral Carter. We interviewed, uh, the OIC. They actually assign an OIC to the climb. There's of course the Navy. So there's an instruction, uh, there mm-hmm. were safety briefs, uh, there didn't seem to be a big concern about safety because they had done their prerequisite uh, training. There was mm-hmm. a, uh, so I, I think that it's, it's going to keep, if I had to guess, I think it's going to keep on um, being the same that it was, but I also think that there, it, it's a lot more regulated and a lot, there's a lot more uh, command interest uh, in it, in a uh, because they do realize there is some safety concerns. But mm-hmm. again, it's 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 such a fun tradition, and it's it's relatively harmless. Uh, there's uh, you know if you if you kind of tumble off the top, you know one of the things they you know and I did not know this, but in the safety brief they say, hey, you know, get some people on the bottom. If you see someone that kind of falls, you know, try to cushion their fall. You know, we yeah. don't want someone falling twenty one feet to the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, but so we've been at the last two climbs and there weren't, you know, we, we, there were no injuries at either one. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that it should hopefully it'll keep on going. Yeah. Uh, but, but the Academy is certainly not taking that for granted and, and they're, they're putting, uh, you know, putting a battalion officer in charge of it and if mm-hmm. you're a battalion officer in charge of it, uh, you know, they're taking it seriously. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, thank you so much for that insight before we jump uh, to what I call the lightning round of questions, which we ask all former midshipmen on the show. Do you have anything else you'd like to address to the audience, whether it's about Herndon, about the book, or anything else in general that you would like to get out there? Uh, well, uh, how much time do we have? Because <laughs> <laughs> As much as you want, sir. 
Well, I, you know, I, I think uh, you know maybe a couple things that I that I would that I would throw in, and, and you asked some great questions. Uh, what uh, Herndon himself is is a really fascinating individual, uh, and I didn't know anything about him. You know, I knew that you know I knew it was the Herndon Monument, and I you know I knew he went down with the ship. So so his story was that he was the captain of the SS Central America. Now he was a Navy commander, captain of the ship. But the SS Central America was a merchant ship, hmm. but they were carrying gold from the gold rush. And so uh, there were Federal Reserve banks that had, uh, had, were, were expecting gold shipments. And because it was a federal government, they had merchant ships. Now, they tried to sail around South America, but you know, with, uh, in those days, in 1857, 1850s, you know, you'd lose a ship at sea. And so they said, hey, it was actually easier pre-Panama Panama Canal to bring the, the ship down the West Coast, uh, take it overland over to the East Coast, and then load it on another ship. So that's what Captain Herndon did. And there was a, uh, a lot of instances that were pretty well known of these ships, because there was no radar, they didn't know anything about storms or whatever. And if they mm-hmm. ran into some sort of uh, weather, there were some instances where the, the, the crew got off the ship and, and there were, pat, you know, there were women and children, they were coming back from California. A lot had made their fortunes mm-hmm. and it was essentially a passenger ship. And a lot, you know, the, the crew would go out in the lifeboats and leave everybody to drown. So it was, uh, what, what kind of made Herndon, uh, famous was how bravey was as the ship, uh, fought for two days to stay afloat. He got all the women and children off, Mm-hmm. Uh, and then put his dress uniform on, went to the went to the pilot house, and and you know went down with the ship. And what the reason that people knew him so well was that the that for for a couple reasons. One, when all when these women got back to the you know on these other ships, they got back to the to to port, they were interviewed, and they all praised Herndon's bravery. But the Telegraph had just come out, so in 1857, Herndon's story went their version of viral. So a lot of people had heard of Herndon, okay, and uh, but people had also heard of Herndon prior to that, because in 1851, as a lieutenant, he was given orders from the Department of the Navy to explore the Valley of the Amazon. That was his orders, hmm. and he there were no Westerners that ever had done that. So he assembled an expedition and went from the west coast of South America to the east coast over the course of a year. And he kept a journal of what he had seen and the people and the food and 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 went through and it was just essentially a, a diary. And you know he would uh, boil water, note the temperature, and could figure out the elevation of it. So when he got back, and it was a you know for those that don't message to Garcia, it was a classic message to Garcia. You're right, go explore yeah. the of the Amazon, and that was the order he got. Mm-hmm. He gets back to the he gets back to the states, and he takes this. Uh, report and he hands it in and it it reads like a, a novel and I and I you know and, and Scott and I both read it uh, and it was it's just a fascinating read mm-hmm. and it became so popular that it that they ended up printing uh, 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 10 or 20,000 copies of this Navy report hmm. and it became so popular they published it as a book hmm and wow. there, was a, there was a guy, a young man in uh, Kirkuk, Iowa, who read this book and said, oh, man, I, I want to go do that. I want to I want to go see, you know, South America. So Kirkuk, Iowa is on the east coast of Iowa. It's on the Mississippi. So he took a, a, a ship down the Mississippi and goes to New Orleans and goes to the uh, shipping office and says, hey, I'd like one ticket to uh, uh, South America. and the, Guy kind of laughed at him and said, uh, "We don't go there." Well, I read this book. You know, I read about Captain Herndon or Lieutenant Herndon, and he goes, "Okay, we don't do that." So he ended up never going. Uh, but he ended up writing a series of books about his experiences on the Mississippi River. Samuel Clemens, aka Mark Twain. Uh, so that's uh, so, okay. and uh, so that that I think that's an, an interesting story. Uh, I have to to do a, a plug if I can for yeah. a, the 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 author that wrote our foreword. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's Gary Kinder, and he wrote uh, a book called Ship of Gold in the Deep Blue Sea. And the uh, Ship of Gold in the Deep Blue Sea is about the 
salvage operation of the SS Central America. The SS Central America went down with, with 200 tons of gold. Uh, but the problem was it was in 8,000 feet of water, and no one had ever done, you know, this was kind of simultaneous with the Titanic, but no one had ever figured out a way to bring that up. And and, mm-hmm. and trying to find out just where it was, because there was no GPS back then, they had conflicting lat long of where the ship had gone down. So it's an absolutely fascinating book that Gary wrote. Mm-hmm. Um, and after reading Captain Herndon's uh Valley of the Amazon expedition and feeling like you really know the guy to to read the account of one of the first couple of chapters of that book, Gary, uh, and he spent 10 years writing it, uh, pieced together almost minute by minute the, the, uh, the, you know, the SS Central America fighting to stay afloat and finally going down with the ship. So you kind of felt, you kind of felt like you knew him. Yeah. But uh, Gary uh, was kind enough to write the forward for our book. And, uh, so that was, um, that was really, uh, nice of him. And I highly recommend that you read that. It's, uh, it's, it's one of the, it's, it's a nonfiction book that reads like a fiction book because it's just, it's a, it's a page turner. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, uh, just one more time. So will you tell us, uh, the name of the book and once it does get released, uh, where someone, if they are interested in buying it and reading it, where they can go to make that happen. Yeah, it's the uh, the Herndon Climb, a history of the Naval Academy's greatest tradition. Uh, it'll be on uh, Amazon, and it also it'll be published through the Naval Institute Press. Uh, pub- tentative publication date is uh, September first of this year. Fantastic! All right, well, thank you again for sharing all that insight. Um, are you ready to move on to the lightning round of questions, or do you want a couple more minutes? Uh I. I think we're good. I think we're right. everything we want to do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Everything we want to do. Fantastic. Um, great. Well, then let's do it with the first question. And I love that you had brought up this terminology uh, earlier in the episode. What is your favorite spot on the yard? Well, my favorite spot on the yard is Farragut Field. Uh, I am a uh, volunteer coach with the Navy Sprint football team. So shout out to and, and uh, to uh, you know, for my sprint football players, uh, back in the day, it was 150-pound football. Uh, the league started in 1934. Now the weight limit's 178 mm-hmm. pounds, and very fortunate and, and blessed to have the opportunity to uh, to, to coach them. So uh, no matter what's going on in my life and no matter what's happening, as soon as I walk on Farragut Field and, and get to be with the, uh, you know, get to be with my sprint players, um, you know, that, that mm-hmm. that's a real magical time for me. And a dominant team at that. So I got to imagine that is fun. Um, All right. What the next question is, what is your favorite meal in King Hall? Well, you know, I I love the meals in King Hall. I thought that uh, they were fantastic. Uh, I'd say probably the favorite meal. And I I was a California kid, so I had no idea what crab was. But when <laughs> they would have, uh, they would, we'd have crab, I think a couple times a year and they'd bring mm-hmm. out all the crabs. And of course I had no idea what I was doing, but I remember the little hammer. Uh, and then, uh, you know, you, you know, the thing about eating, you know, uh, you know, uh, crab, blue crab is, you know, it takes a lot of effort to get about a tablespoon full of meat. <laughs> so they also have, you know, a bunch of ribs and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that was certainly one of my favorite meals, but I, I just thought the meals, uh, themselves were the, you know, the food was just, was, was fantastic. And, uh, you know, there was uh foot long, uh, hot dogs with Texas sauce, uh, chicken tenderloins with poulets. I mean, I could probably give you, you know, the menu, <laughs> for, for menu you know, if you, if you help me. Spoken like a true supply officer. I love right. right. <laughs> Always, as you know, I, I will never bash the food. <laughs> Uh, having run, uh, you know, my my w- one of my jobs on the on the USS Constellation, the carrier I was on was the wardroom officer, so I was mm-hmm. in charge of the uh, flag mess and the chief's mess and the mm-hmm. two wardrooms on on the Constellation. So I will never ever bash food on the Navy uh, institution. <laughs> I love it. Uh, now taking a, a turn to a little bit more of the sentimental side, uh, and so the first question for you on this is who or what? So it can be a person or an experience from your time as a midshipman has the biggest impact on your leadership style that you have today. And basically tracing that back to the Academy. Well, I'll tie that back to the book. 
Uh, and again, uh, I don't want to, you know, a little bit of a, I don't want to do too many spoilers, but uh, <laughs> my first semester squad leader mm-hmm. and my second semester squad leader plebe year uh, were such fantastic examples of poor leadership that I learned mm. here what not to do. So I will always be thankful uh, to both of them for showing me how not to lead. Interesting. Uh, and that's that's such an important piece of it, though, right? <laughs> Is seeing seeing what doesn't work. So that's a that's an interesting answer. Thank you for that. I think uh, I too have experienced said individuals uh, in in my path as well. Um, all right, we talked a little bit about Herndon. We talked a little bit about commissioning and that graduation day and throwing it up. But what other do you have another great memory from your time at your uh, your four years in Annapolis, or were those those two days by far and large your best two moments at the Naval Academy? Well, I'd say those two moments, and then I'll have to throw in the third one. As I as I mentioned, my wife is a classmate, mm-hmm. and we met uh, second class summer on Protramid. Uh, I was. Uh, uh, much more interested in her than her in, in me. Uh, we had the same major. We were lab partners our uh, first semester, our junior year. Uh, we had a bit of a falling out. Um, and uh, for about the next uh, year, really had no contact. Uh, and then we had a class together, uh, senior year, second semester, senior year. And I asked her out on uh, Valentine's Day of our senior year. And she thankfully said yes. And, uh, once I, once we went on that date, you know, there was no doubt in my mind that, uh, that I wanted to get married to her, it took her mm-hmm. a little bit longer to come around, but, uh, <laughs> we've been married almost 32 years, have three kids and, and one grandson. And, uh, so that's a, a, a fantastic memory of mm-hmm. me that, uh, you know, and I think back to my time at the Academy, uh, you know, it, it, it certainly was hard, uh, one of one of my classmates, Dan Ballister, also a fun master like me and in Lucky Bag, you know, his quote, he has one, just one quote that says, you know, wasn't easy, wasn't supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Really, that's really that's the case. But the memories and the friendships that you make at the Naval Academy uh, are, 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 you know, beyond anything that you could get at a civilian school. Uh, and it's happened to me time and time and time over the course of my career. Uh, whether you see them in, you know, in the service or you see them at a, an event or reunion or whatever it is, uh, you see a classmate and it could be uh, you saw him five years, 10 years, 15, however old you are. But as soon as you start talking to him, it's no matter how much time has passed, it's like you saw him yesterday. And that's the that's the thing about the academy that is so special. And uh, that's the thing that makes it all worth it. Absolutely. I love that answer. All right. And to the final thing is that a large piece of our audience uh, are high school students or parents of high school students who may be interested in the Naval Academy. So if there's someone like that out there listening, what advice would you give someone who may be interested in the Naval Academy about what to consider when trying to decide if the Naval Academy is a good choice for them? Well, I guess I'd answer this a couple of ways. One is uh, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of interest, and so the competition is absolutely fierce. Uh, before my kids were 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 even in in high school, uh, a friend of mine uh, had a saying. He told his kids, and I stole it from him, uh, which is, you know, every bee closes a door. So you 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 can't breeze through high school. You can't uh, not apply yourself in high school and and think that the Naval Academy is going to be interested in you. So you, you have to, mm-hmm. to work in school. Uh, the second piece of that is, and, and again, I was a blue and gold officer for 20 years and, and counseled a lot of, lot of, uh, mm-hmm. lot of, lot of uh, potential midshipmen. And I think a lot of high school kids, I mean, I, you know, and I, I put you in this category too, uh, the competition and, and just the quality of the, of, of everybody that's applying and, and going to the Academy now is so much higher. Um, I, I don't, I think they would probably just return to sender my application, uh, (laughs) you know, now. So the, the, so the the competition is fierce, but it's, it's not, uh, it's not just trying to collect extracurricular activities. It's not trying just to, to have, uh, 10 things. And I, and, and I think what, what everybody kind of fails to realize, 
um, because they don't know because they're kind of on the outside looking in is that the Naval Academy is, is a leadership institute. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter that you were in the chess club and the stamp club and the ski club. What were your leadership roles in those organizations? Because mm-hmm. we're looking for leaders. You know, we're looking for young men and women who are already demonstrating the ability to be leaders and are having success as leaders because we can take that and then we can build that uh, up and up and up so that, that when they get out in the fleet, uh, they're going to be successful. So if I'm talking to a high school student, mm-hmm. uh, make sure you really apply yourself, but don't just collect extracurricular activities. Really focus on on on, le- on things that can show your leadership. Uh, team captains in a sport, obviously, very, very important. Uh, and the thing about if you do uh, end up at the Naval Academy and, and you know, the retention is is pretty high, I think, like I said, the competition is is, is fierce, but the ones that, that end up getting in, I think, I think the retention is a lot higher than it used to be for sure. But once you do that and you're able to graduate from the Naval Academy, you have you're you're set for life. And it's not necessarily in a in a in a in a, in a Navy Marine Corps setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm amazed now that I'm 56 years old and and I'm I've done a lot of different things. Uh, spent a lot of time in the corporate world after I got off active duty. And it, it's always amazing to me to to see in 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 whether it's it's corp, you know corporate jobs or organizations or or myriad things out there where the leadership is military academy people, and you know and if you look at the mission statement, the mission statement talks about hey we we're developing leaders and but leaders in our community, mm-hmm. and it and, and 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 it happens all the time. You know, you'll say, wow, that that you know, that person's leading that church committee, man, they're really, really squared away. They're really impressive. And then you mm-hmm. start talking to them. Oh, yeah, I went to the Air Force Academy. Okay, there you go. <laughs> right? So it's, uh, that that's the thing. It's it's not just a, a the Navy career. And, and, you know, every as you know, uh, you have people say, hey, I'm getting out after five and they're in it for for four. <laughs> people that say I'm staying in for 30 and they're out after five. So, you don't mm-hmm. you know, I you don't know to you, to you know, but. Whatever you end up doing, uh, so many Naval Academy graduates are successful because of the leadership. Absolutely. And, and I loved what you're saying uh, earlier about, you know, demonstrating that leadership. And that's always been a big thing of mine whenever I talk to someone is we don't want to just like see you try and hit checks in the box, right? Like just trying to check every box. That's not it. It's find what you enjoy, find what your passion is, and then make an impact in that thing. Right. Like do what you do, do what you enjoy, do what you love, and then demonstrate within a community that you really believe in and really like that you can make an impact on the organization and the people around you. Um, And that's like the the phrase that we use in the Navy, right, is that sustained superior performance is like, hey, find something that you love, get into it and just demonstrate that you can perform at a high level as a person and as a leader in that organization. And I'll set you up for success. All right. And, and what I always and what I always stress to 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 young officers uh, mm. who go out there, and it really doesn't matter what their community is. Uh, you're going to be at some point, you know. I mean, again, you know, if you're a, a pilot or you know, in aviation, it takes you a while to to kind of get through your training. Uh, but whenever, as soon as you get out there, you're going to be working with, uh, you know, the really the finest young men and women that the country has to offer. You know, mm-hmm. the, the 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 sailors, uh, you know, Marines, airmen uh, that are that are part of our military. And what I try to tell JOs is you, you, what I try to tell them is they want to be led. Okay. They are dying to be led. They want strong leadership. Now they may growl and they may complain and, 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 but that, that's just how it is. And that's how, you know, that's just how, how, you know, how the Navy is uh, mm-hmm. being in the Navy for as long as I was, but don't ever let that think that they don't want to be led. and. It doesn't matter, you know, what you know, uh, and whether, you know, I went out as a supply corps officer and I was the dispersing officer. And I had, uh, when we deployed a month after I got there, I had $9 million in cash in my safe. And I had, a, uh, uh, you know, I had uh, 5,000 people that were, you know, requiring me and my people to make sure their pay was right. And this is before direct deposit. So it was allotments and paper checks and, and all that. And I didn't know the first, you know, I knew the real, real basics that I'd learned in supply course school. But what I was put there for was to lead mm-hmm. and, to, and to, to take care of my people so that they could take care of the crew. 
And that and that's that's really the crucial thing that I think that we 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 sometimes miss uh, at the academy. We're saying, hey, this person's really good in 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 this uh, this sport, or they're really good at academically. But what, what's their leadership like? Because it, all that other stuff doesn't matter. Yep. You know, I know you probably had a four zero. I had a two point three. <laughs> I did not have a four zero. <laughs> hey, whoa, whoa! So, so details <laughs> don't matter. It's be you know, it's the leadership that matters. Mm, and, absolutely. And you know, there's nothing more gratifying. You know, I'm and again, I have three kids, and you know, I always say it's always more fun to watch your kid hit a home run than you, for, for you to hit a home run. But I'll tell you, there's nothing more gratifying, especially now at my stage of life as a leader, where uh, you know, at least once a week, uh, at a bare minimum, I will get an email or a call or a text message from somebody that's worked for me, checking in with me. Hey, could you call me? Uh, call me. I'd like to run something by you. Hey, could you write me this letter of recommendation? Hey, could you advise me in this situation? Uh, and and that's all just about. And that's not because I'm wonderful. I mean, I'm I'm retired now. I can't help anybody. You know, I don't have any power at all. But I was able to build a relationship. Uh, and they respect, you know, respect me as a leader. And, and, and really, that's kind of my lasting legacy, I think, mm. is that I was able to, to have some success as a leader and to see the people that work for me, a uh, guy that was uh, just, you know, worked for me, just was selected for flag, you know. So yeah. um, that, that's the type of that's a good feeling that makes it special. Absolutely. Well, Jim, thank you so much for sharing your time with us and coming on to talk all about the Herndon Climb, the history of it, and as well, the book. So again, as always, again, if you are interested, we will uh, put a link to the Amazon page once it does get released in the show notes. So you can make sure to check that out. Otherwise, make sure when it does get released that you guys go buy it and take a read. Uh, you're going to see some great stories, a lot of history about Herndon and a lot of insight. Um, so again, thank you so much for taking your time and sharing it with us here on Academy Insider. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. It was great talking to you. Absolutely. All right. And to the Academy Insider audience, I hope you guys have a great day. Thanks. All right. Well, I really hope you all enjoyed that episode. As always, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts and be sure to subscribe. Again, if you are looking for any more information into the midshipman experience or life at the Naval Academy, make sure to follow my Facebook page, Academy Insider, or you can go to my website, www.academyinsider.com. As always, I'm Grant Vermeer, the Academy Insider, and thank you so much for letting me be your guide to the United States Naval Academy.